Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Deezer. Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Today, our guest is Mauricio Verdugo, MD, MPH. Mauricio is currently the Director of Medical Affairs at Humasite. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. <laughs> and he has worked in different capacities within the CRO, pharma, diagnostics, and biotech industries in the United States and globally, including Latin America, Europe, and Asia for, um, for the past nine, 10 years. So Mauricio, it's great to have you here in the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Excellent, Mauricio. So I'm so looking so much uh, looking forward to this conversation today. You are originally from Central America, and I'm very curious about your journey. Tell us about your journey to where you are today and your journey to Latin America. Well, interestingly enough, my journey started in the United States. Uh, I was raised in the United States, but I had the opportunity uh, to go to uh, El Salvador for medical school, uh, and which was a you know, a phenomenal experience for me, uh, learning a little bit more about my own culture, uh, you know, where my ancestors came from, my family came from. I was actually born there, but raised in the United States. But uh, the uh, important thing is that I got to know uh, what the healthcare situation is outside of the United States, which is something that I'm very foreign to. So it was not only a, a culture shock, should I say, for an American kid to go to uh, the, his country of origin, but to learn how things work uh, politically and in healthcare. Uh, uh, industry uh, outside of the United States. Uh, so after graduation from medical school, I came back to the United States and I started working uh, in you know different clinical uh, positions. But eventually, I decided to embark an academic journey uh, in, uh, in in healthcare, uh, principally in uh, pulmonary, cardiovascular, and spine surgery research, uh, which brought me to to this industry. And that's when I started to grow. Uh, within the therapeutic areas that you know that I now uh, and have worked with in the past, so it's been a pretty long journey. It's been a very interesting journey, uh, and, uh, and and maybe to answer your question about how I got involved uh, in the Latin America, uh, you know, uh, side of things, was uh, once I, I got into the diagnostic space. That's really where I had the opportunity to work globally, and I worked with different uh, uh, people, wonderful people from different countries. Uh, and, and I learned a lot about, uh, you know, what the policies are in each country. Every country is different. Uh, you know, it's, there's no one cookie cutter uh, way to uh, to do things. And so you really get a good perspective about, you know, how to work in each individual region. Excellent, Mauricio. All right. So let's talk about trends. What do you see happening in Latin America from the political, economical or social standpoint that, that is relevant to our discussion today? You know, without you know, maybe getting into too many uh, details, but I think politically, there I think just the same as the around the world, there's a lot of uh, political unrest. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, different ideas, different uh, ideologies uh, that predominate uh, with different uh, you know governments and different administrations. Uh, you know, I don't think it's any different than here in the United States. But I think what the most important uh, thing in Latin America is the level of uh, poverty uh, and the level of angst, uh, you know, from, from different people. Uh, not so much, you know, about, you know, what, what are they going to do uh, with their new governments? But, e you know, economically, it's it, it's it's a very difficult situation. 
politically, obviously, it's a difficult situation. But I think socially as well, uh, th- th- there's a lot of division. And, and so that impacts uh, many sectors of, uh, of society in, in Latin America. And, and I have personally seen uh, that, that divide. And so, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's really a difficult situation. In, in some countries, it's better. In other countries, it's not. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of unrest uh, right now all over the world. Yes, yes, agree. Well, you're bringing up an interesting point. <laughs> I don't know if it is a curse or, 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 or a blessing for Latin America, but um, you see a lot of populist governments in the region, Argentina, uh, now Peru, uh, of course, Venezuela, in in uh, Mexico, etc., in 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 Colombia is about to have an election, and there is a populist um, candidate, very strong. So, what this means is that uh, you see a lot of government programs, including healthcare programs, that benefit the whole population in in, a, in one way or another. So, as I said, I don't know if it is a curse of, of, or a blessing, but uh, but uh, the trend in Latin America or the historic um, behavior of the region has been universal healthcare system for everybody. So, I guess that that um, facilitates uh, the 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 access uh, to the system and and, and the, uh, increases the coverage. And and also makes it attractive for companies to um, to sell products uh, to to national healthcare systems. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And and actually, in some countries, you will have the universal healthcare system, but then there are also private systems that 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 also work, and then also the social security uh, healthcare systems that some countries have. Uh, and so there is a little bit of a, I'd say, benefit, you know, to having to being uh, able to afford into those programs. But for the most part, you're right; it's universal healthcare, and whether it's good or bad for the population, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are imp- you know improvements that can be made, you know, all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, something that I've seen happening in the region, just happening in Colombia recently, is that um, recently we're probably talking about three, four years ago uh it's uh, that uh, healthcare is a constitutional right so um you have the 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 right as a colombian citizen to to have access to the healthcare system and uh, reimbursement is pretty much a guarantee for any product that you want to that that you need for your medical care so um uh, that, that's that's certainly a trend that is increasing in 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 the region yeah definitely all right so Mauricio, let's speak about your uh, practical experience, your field experience in the different countries in the region. Let's let's uh, speak about Mexico, Colombia, and, and anywhere else in Latin America where you travel and, and, and you were able to, to uh, work and, and uh, experience how to do business in each country. Yeah, interestingly enough, the uh, countries that I worked uh, with the most uh, were in Colombia. Uh, Argentina, uh, Chile, uh, and with Mexico, I, I did some work indirectly. Worked with a lot of great people. I uh, didn't had uh, didn't have the opportunity to go uh, to uh, Mexico physically, but I was there virtually quite a lot. <laughs> uh, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, in South America, the markets uh, have uh, been very uh, diverse, especially in Colombia, uh, where you have. Uh, different medical systems that uh, that are, are are working. Regulatory agencies are very different uh, in Colombia, where 
Uh, if you want to bring a product there, you really do have to show uh, the regulatory agencies uh, the, the benefits uh, in, in the clinical trial outcomes uh, for, for the product. And they, you know, if, if everything looks good, they really, they, you know, they, ex they approve things pretty quickly uh, and uh, without so much delay. Uh, in other countries, it might be a little bit different. Uh, Chile, for example, it's it's a pretty fast uh, system. Argentina is uh, is is a relatively fast system. I know Mexico uh, is moderate. It could take a couple of months, but you know if things look good, they they are pretty good. In Brazil, uh, which is another market that I've uh, worked in, uh, is, is a little bit more delayed uh, because they're just very careful about what uh, is being brought to their population, and they want to make sure that you know they 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 do a very a detailed uh, look at, uh, at at all the information that's being brought to them for the product. But for the most part, if everything looks good, they approve it too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mexico and Brazil are kind of the, the, the ugly countries in Latin America for regulatory efforts. <laughs> Everybody's scared of these two countries yeah. because it's, it's time consuming, it's laborious and expensive. And um, as you said, Colombia is pretty straightforward. Uh, in, in about 90 days, you can have your, your high-risk device approved. And for lower-risk devices, uh, class one and class two, is automatic. It's just a notification, yeah, which is great. And, 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 and I was just recently um, uh, listening to um, a presentation from uh, the director of the medical device committee in Arinvima in Colombia. And uh, she was saying that uh, they did benchmarking uh, and they compare Colombia to the rest of the countries in Latin America. And Colombia definitely has the fastest approval time, except for Chile. Right. Chile, yeah, Chile, Chile is a different animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chile, Chile, you don't need regulatory approval. It's voluntary. Uh, which is interesting because it creates a, a, a kind of a, a market-driven uh, regulatory system. In other words, if you don't have FDA or CE mark approval, uh, the government doesn't care about it. The, the government will let you import the product. Uh, they won't. Um, they, they, they don't require you to file any applications or anything. You can, as long as you have a, a distributor, an importer, you should be able to sell the product uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's just that the local doctors will not accept anything. That's ex that's exactly <laughs> what I was about ready to say. So, uh, so that you know, the regulatory part is very easy, uh, but uh, trying to convince people to use uh, new products is a challenge. And so that's that's where a lot of training and education uh, come in very handy. And sometimes you have uh, if you convince uh, the elder uh, professor or the elder physician in, in the facility. And if that person has or he or she has a you know significant influence in, in the hospital or healthcare system, then other people will follow and adopt. But it takes some time to to get that to happen. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no nobody will risk uh, the reputation. Any any key opinion leader will carefully guard his or her reputation and will not uh, risk uh, his patients uh, or her patients uh, with uh, Chinese or some. Uh, products that are, do not have uh, FDA and C or CMARC approvals. So, yeah. So, Mauricio, let's speak about your uh, past experience. In what capacity were you working in Latin America? I, if I remember correctly, you were a medical director also? You were in medical affairs? Yeah, I was in medical affairs. I was uh, the uh, in global medical affairs, actually, at, uh, at, uh, at a diagnostics company. 
and so uh, my uh, my job was to uh, was essentially I was in charge of uh, three disease states uh, and 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 you know and the, in the product that was uh, that was being used for those disease states. And so uh, my uh, for example, sepsis and acute kidney injury were the two big ones that I that w- I was working on. And so uh, what I had to do uh, was uh, train people, tra- you know, talk to physicians, talk to different hospital systems about uh sepsis uh interestingly enough we uh in the healthcare uh you know field we everybody knows about sepsis but at the same time not very many people know about sepsis and 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 that's something that's very you know it's an infectious disease it's it's a multi multi-systemic uh, uh you know a problem that that happens when uh you know as a result of an infection uh, where the you know multiple organs can fail uh and uh and, and it could be very deadly but uh the interesting thing was that uh, there are different ideas about how to manage the septic patient. And so, but there really is no consensus. And so uh, my job really was to not only talk about uh, the, the diagnostic tests that that we had uh, for use in sepsis, but really educate and train people about the management of sepsis. And the same thing was for acute kidney injury. So uh, it's just very interesting to see different colleagues when, when you talk to them, they're those that, you know, that listen uh, that uh, are, are very appreciative of the the new inf- updated information because many times in many countries uh, some of the information that they have is very old. So when you bring something new, they really do appreciate that. Uh, you know, in other cases, there are some guys that are just set in their ways; they don't want to change, and you know that's that, that's how, and that's okay. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, bring, you know, bringing new information has been uh, quite a a, a very uh, interesting uh, thing to experience because they, people do appreciate that. And because you know, they do uh, genuinely want to uh, want to uh, improve patient lives, so so th- that was my experience there. Okay, okay, interesting. And you're bringing up uh, another point, um, uh, which is education, information, and all that. And you are in a unique position because you went to medical school in El Salvador. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So it's a, it's a Central American country that many people talk about. Now it's kind of in fashion with the president, right? Bukele? I think you, uh, or you paused for a moment, sorry. <laughs> Are you Are there? You yeah, you're back. You're back. Okay, I'm here, yeah. So Salvador is in fashion now because of the crypto currency. Oh, Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin is the first, first country in the world to adopt <laughs> Bitcoin as a, as a national currency. And the president is, uh, he's unique to say the least. <laughs> yeah, the, the, he's, uh, some people like him, some people don't. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh, you talk a lot about this with your uh, family members and your friends from Salvador. But the, the, the question I wanted to ask you, Mauricio, is how will you compare the medical education that you received and, and, and that doctors uh, in general receive in, in a country like Salvador with the education of somebody who, who went to medical school in the United States? You know, interestingly enough, I mean, it's a very good question. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, as a you know, point of reference for me, I mean, I, I went to medical school, you know, over 20 years ago. And so uh, the educational system, I'm sure, has changed since uh, I was there. Uh, but what I will tell you is that... Uh, at least from my own experience uh, in medical school, I mean, we use the same books. We use the, a lot of the same references. Uh, you know, our professors uh, were very good, very knowledgeable of, about uh, their specific specialties. And they uh, and they taught very in a very anecdotal way, right? 
so so you're, you're really trained to be a physician in, in that country, which is, you know, that, that's why you're there, right? But uh, I think what the difference between uh, some Latin American countries, I know, I can't speak for all Latin American countries, but just from my own experience, is that uh, in the United States, there is a little bit more of an academic uh, focus than in Latin America. And, and, you know, where they here in the United States, uh, we encourage medical students and residents and fellows to participate in clinical research, uh, you know, to test new innovative uh, ideas, to test innovative products and to participate in, in some of those activities. So, you know, not only to uh, uh, encourage people to do something new, but maybe discover something better. Uh, and so uh, I did not have that experience. And this was 20, 25 years ago. So I'm sure things may have already changed. But nonetheless, uh, that's probably the biggest difference between uh, the, the, the two regions. Yes, yes. I, I think uh, things have not changed that much, <laughs> to be honest with you, because I hear that from uh, a few other people, uh, including my brother. My brother went to medical school in, in Colombia. And by the way, there is a significant difference. Uh, medical school in Latin America is an undergrad degree. Right. So right after high school, you get into medical school and you spend five, seven years with the internship. And you also have to do social service. That's the same case in Salvador. Yes, that's the case. Okay. Yeah. 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 So social service where you spend a year in a rural area helping people, which is great. I think that's a great experience for a very humbling experience. Because regardless of your socioeconomic level, and you know that Latin America has very uh, marked, <laughs> very bold <laughs> differences, uh, you have to go through that. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, I mean, I've been uh, uh, you know given gifts you know from from patients when I did my social service here. I've been given uh, uh, food, chickens, uh, fruit, cats, and I even had one lady offer me uh, to marry her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did not marry her. But uh, but it's, it's very humbling, you know that that people really do appreciate uh, uh, what what you do for them. Uh, you uh, you get to see a side of uh, society that you normally wouldn't get to see in the bigger cities, and so it really was a humbling experience. Uh, and and you develop a, a high sense of compassion uh, for you know impoverished people. Definitely, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, I heard that a lot from my father. He was a, a pneumologist and a radiologist and my brother who is a cardiologist. And um, you also mentioned that the way your professors teach uh, or taught in your case uh, is through anecdotes. And, and I also heard that from my father and my brother. And, and, and the reason for that is probably because... Um, the way medicine is practiced in these countries is very practical. You have to solve issues. You have to solve whatever case you have in front of you with little resources. You don't have the $20,000 piece of equipment that you have at your disposal on your desk in, in the United States uh, as a doctor. So um, in, in Colombia, I, I heard all these stories about, uh, you know, hospitals that they don't even have uh, cotton, uh, they don't even have alcohol. So you have to come up with creative solutions. Too, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, interestingly enough, and some of the things that we take for granted here in the United States, for example, is uh, if you need a CT scan, they just take you from the emergency room to the CT scan room. 
in uh, uh, El Salvador, for example, if you needed a CT scan, they would put you in an ambulance, take you to a, a, a different location, and you need you would need to have two thousand dollars to get a CT scan. And, and so, uh, you know, so that that's another disparity that we see a lot there. That a lot of the technology that we have in the United States is not as available in, in other countries. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so Mauricio, let's talk about what you're doing today with uh, Humasite. I'm very, very intrigued with your uh, company, with your product, with what you guys are doing. It's just fascinating. I mean, it sounds like science fiction. Let's talk about that, please. <laughs> yeah, so you know, Humasite is a you know is a is a company in uh, regenerative medicine, uh, and we're actually defining a new category in regenerative medicine where we're capable of creating a you know universally implantable uh, regenerative uh, human tissue uh, at a commercial scale uh, for patients with, you know, life and limb threatening conditions. Uh, currently, we're uh, testing uh, this uh, this product, the HAV or human acellular vessel uh, in uh, phase three clinical trials. It's not FDA approved just yet, uh, but what we're doing is uh, we're, uh, we're uh, studying it in uh, AV access or arteriovenous access for hemodialysis in uh, vascular trauma, and then also in peripheral arterial disease uh, in, in some phase two trials. And, and, you know, we have other applications that we're looking at right now, but, uh, the, you know, the, the two main ones that we're uh, working on right now are AV axis and vascular trauma. Okay. And, Fascinating. And yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no. And we're working with the FDA uh, to, uh, you know, to get, uh, to conclude these uh, studies and, and then bring, uh, bring the uh, results to them and hopefully get uh, FDA approval. When do you think that will happen, the FDA approval? Well, we don't know just yet. Uh, you know, because of the pandemic and because of, uh, you know, several factors, uh, we, you know, there is no uh, timetable right now. Uh, we we would expect uh, things, you know, maybe to look uh, a little bit more concrete and within the next year or two. But, uh, you know, when when discussing with the FDA and especially now because of the COVID pandemic, uh, we, we do not know just yet. So, you know, I can't define a specific timetable. Sure, sure. Do you have any plans for Latin America after you get FDA approval? Well, the markets that we're looking at right now are the U.S. Uh, and then also with the uh, collaboration uh, with uh, one of the uh, leaders in hemodialysis, uh, Fresenius, uh, we're also exploring the, the European markets. We don't have a timetable yet for Latin America, uh, but that's not to say that that won't happen. But right now we're really more focused on, on the U.S. And, and, and Europe. Okay. And from what you hear from your friends or colleagues, um, are there, is there a, a renewed interest with Latin America uh, in light of the UNDR? Have you heard anything about that? Uh, not, I haven't heard about the UNDR, but uh, I, what I do know is that there has been a significant uh, interest uh, from different companies, not just, uh, you know, the pharma, but also biotech and diagnostics to uh, invest in, in Latin American countries uh, because uh, we have seen a lot of uh, researchers and excellent physicians emerge from uh, Latin America who, that nobody knows about. Uh, and, and, and a lot of experts uh, in, in the infectious disease area, for example, in cardiology, uh, in uh, nephrology, uh, at least from my uh, uh, experience, have been phenomenal. And so now you know, the people are starting to realize that there's a lot of talent out there and it's time to capture that. Yes, yeah, you're bringing up another good point. I think uh, what's happening in Latin America, Mauricio, is that the region for the past uh, 20 years or so has changed, is, has matured. And uh, the, middle class, the middle class is growing a lot. 
and people have access, and with the internet, with the globalization, people have access to global education. They can study uh, anywhere now, and they can they can look at, at other countries as a destination for their their university studies. And a lot of a lot of Latin Americans, especially if you're from the middle middle upper class, and you have access to to um, you have family members in the United States, and you have the money to travel and to get accepted to a university. I see more and more and more people, and I'm 50 years old. I've seen a transition. You see more and more people traveling to the United States or Europe to study. Just yesterday, I was um, I interviewed the director of the biomedical program at the top university in Colombia, which is equivalent to Harvard in Colombia, and one of the top universities in, in Latin America, Universidad de los Andes. They have a fantastic uh, biomedical uh, program. And he just told me that uh, one of his students got accepted uh, at Stanford Biodesign. Wow. You know, that's, that's quite, a, quite a, an accomplishment. He's been the only Latin American and the only female accepted in this program. And I felt so proud. I'm like, wow, this is a big deal for us and for the region. Because as you said, now you see more Latin Americans in the, in the biotech, biopharma, medtech ecosystem, and that creates awareness. And, and they, they can help bring technologies or research to the region. Yeah, recently, I can't remember his name, but uh, there is a, a physician from El Salvador uh, who was uh, uh, who's going to be part of the space program in NASA? I can't remember if it's the mission to Mars or or maybe to the Moon. I can't remember uh, right now what it is, but I mean, he's a Salvadorian uh, physician, and wow, uh, he, and you know that, that's you know that that's a big thing because uh, you know that you don't see that very uh, often. Yeah. So so I mean, th- there's a lot of talent that's emerging uh, from Latin America. Uh, you know, the uh, interesting thing is that a lot of uh, talented people. Leave their countries of origin to come to the United States to train, and you know because of uh, you know the different circumstances, you know people decide to stay in the in the United States, uh, you know because there are more opportunities for you know for growth or or or, or whatnot. But uh, it, you know, but what we're seeing now is a, it's a little bit uh, more competitive, uh, especially in some countries like Colombia, where people do come back and they have a very you know nice uh, you know uh, lifestyle. Yes, <laughs> and, and and just because they they bring back what they learned from Europe or Canada or the United States, as an example. So, I, yeah, and I know many people who, uh, from El Salvador who go to South America and they come back and succeed. Uh, so you know, the, 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 there's you know, the, the, there, there's there's a, there's a new wave of, uh, of a new wave from there. Yeah, 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 and actually the system is set up for that for you to go back to your country. There's there's a visa that is given to these physicians uh, who come from 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 overseas, uh, including Latin America, which is the J J one visa. Yeah. yeah, so you are required to go back to your country for two years. It's called the home residency requirement, because uh, the the spirit of the visa is that yes, you're welcome to the United States, you're welcome to our institutions, you're welcome to get a location here. But you have to go back to your country for two years at least and, and apply what you learn, which is it's a good spirit. I mean, I like that. It's a good incentive, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good incentive. But the thing is, if you want to stay here, it's difficult because you have to break that 
home requirement uh, <laughs> requirement. Uh, I mean, home uh, home requirement visa requirement, and uh, it's uh, it, it can be costly. Uh, I've seen a few cases of where you have to go through attorneys and immigration court and stuff. Because if you get education, get educated at Harvard, for example, the medical school, I mean, it's difficult to go back. It's, it really is, yeah. Unless you have a great, great incentive to go back to Latin America. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Mauricio, we're getting close to the end of the show. Uh, any final comments, uh, any muscles of wisdom? Uh, in other words, what would you say to the CEO of a medical device or biotech company uh, who is just starting to look at Latin America as a place to do clinical research or commercialization of medical technologies. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, there is a, a, a tremendous uh, opportunity in Latin America to uh, to do some clinical research, to bring new products, uh, maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, obviously people want to test it in the United States and Europe first, but, you know, there's always a good opportunity in uh, a population that's also sick in, in Latin America that, you know, where you can also test a lot of products safely, of course. Uh, and, you know, but I think that the, the most important thing is that there is also a huge opportunity to uh, educate and train physicians on, on the updated technology where, you know, they should not have to wait uh, five, 10 years to, to learn about what we learned here last year. Uh, and so I, I think that, you know, being able to bring uh, these products to uh, and, and technology to Latin America is really going to help patient lives. And it's also going to help with research because that encourages uh, research in, uh, you know, for physicians, for residents, and, you know, maybe they can invent the you know, next new technology. And so, you know, why not bring it to them too? Yes. Yeah. Well said. All right, Mauricio, thank you so much for being the show today. I really appreciate, um, you accepted my invitation. I enjoyed, uh, our conversation. I'm sure listeners also did. So, have a great day. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, and you know, hello to everybody in Latin America. <laughs> All right, Mauricio. Ciao. Take care. Bye-bye.